and we are live from both of our parents' basements. The blog boys are back. We are the, the blog boy days of summer. We are. You're showing me up right now with the the real mic because I'm using my MacBooks mic. So your your audio quality is just gonna blow my out of the water this episode. There is a subtle difference between the two of us though, which is that you are electively staying at your parents for the night and I am permanently, semi-permanently staying with my parents with all of my stuff with me. So <laughs> do I have my mic? Yes. Do I also have everything else in my life with me? <laughs> uh, this is really just a, a benefit on your end. I think I'll give you the win on this and not. not I think it's, it is hilarious that we're both in our parents' basement right now recording yeah. our podcast that has I don't even know how many listeners. A lot. I think there's a lot yeah. of listeners by now. I think it's a, we're we're definitely in the dozens. Yeah, totally. Again, if you're listening, reach out to us on Twitter. My Twitter is Seth J. Kramer. Matt's is Maddie Builds. Reach out. Reach out. We to would us. love to hear from you. Um, it actually reminds me of you remember this when we were in college and we would like play ping pong in your parents' basement and talk about business ideas. That's like literally what the story of this podcast was. Wasn't like something to do with ping pong, one of the names we were thinking about. Oh yeah, it was like startup ping pong. I think was one of the. I like that. I actually like that. Startup ping pong. We've already changed the name once. We've already gone through one name change. <laughs> used to say we can't do another. I think we rebrand. You got to rebrand every year. Yeah. What do you think of that idea, Seth? <laughs> what? <do> you... <laughs> um. All right. So I want to start by screen sharing. I I want to get your live reaction of Framer's new AI feature. Framer is kind of like Webflow or Squarespace. Uh, but it's like the new hot one that everyone's talking about now. And they've yeah. already been really cool. A lot of designers have been talking about it on Twitter. It is a very cool tool. I haven't personally, like I, I've, I've built a website with it just to play around with it, but I'm definitely, I definitely know Webflow much better than I know Framer because I haven't put in the time to fully understand Framer yet. But they just released a really, really cool feature, which is this is the, best execution that I've seen so far of an AI website generator in terms of you put in a prompt and it creates a website for you. And uh, like, this is something that I saw Webflow announce their AI features, but they haven't released it yet, which is going to be kind of like this, I think, although on Webflows, from what I've seen from Webflow, at least in their preview, it's a little bit more like, oh, you want to add a component for pricing, like you can yeah. add it and it'll create it. Whereas, so I, I think this is just in general where website development is, is going. And it's kind of the, at least it's going to be, get you 75% of the way there. Or if you want like a very good website that is unique, but isn't maybe like the best possible website um, ever. I think that these AI tools are going to get you really, really far. And this is like the future of where it's going. So I think yeah is ahead of the curve here. And I want to get your live reaction to can I react to that distinction between Webflow and Framer also? Sure, yeah. I I think that the way a lot of tech is going is that it's going to cut out middlemen. Like this is, disintermediation is kind of key to technology. It's what it does over time. And I think that one thing that's really interesting to me is this idea that product designers can go from just being able to design a product to actually being able to implement a product. And I think they're going to be much more excited about the idea of going component by component within Webflow and customizing a site by being able to say like, hey, I want this button using my um, company's uh, core color scheme with like this many pixels. And I want you to like implement that button across the board on these pages. Then they will by like, just, hey, can you, you know, create this entire website for me? And so I think for product designers, I'm kind of curious what they would be able to do with uh, a component by component uh, builder. But that's more of a gut feeling. I'm curious if you want to push back on that or maybe even like Framer is going to implement that too, but. On component versus. Basically like the strategy between Webflow and, and Framer on like how they're actually implementing AI into their products. Yeah, that's a good point. And I do think it it may end up, I think that it's going to end up where you can do both. And I don't I don't know if you can do components yet on Framer. Maybe you can, but I just don't know how to do it. But I, I agree. I think that it'll end up being, being both. And I, I agree with you, like maybe the ultimate way of doing it is almost like a very bare bones, like template of a website. And then in each part of that website, you're prompting and creating things. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. So I see me... this out because I've heard a lot about it and you've talked to me a lot about it, but I haven't actually seen it in action yet. So, all right. So let me share my screen and we'll walk the audience through um, for those who are listening. 
So here we are on Framer's homepage here. So you can now click start with AI. So you click start with AI and it basically opens up the Framer app here and like the designer. And then here there's a button in the middle of the page. It says start with AI. So you can click that. Um, I'm going to paste in a prompt. You can put in anything that you want. I'm just going to paste in a prompt that's from prompts.framer.ai, which is kind of a user-generated prompt, so, which is also pretty cool. One thing that I'd like to see in the future here with that Framer would have is more of almost like a, a Mad Libs type style where they help you create the prompt. Uh, I think that would be really useful for them to have here. That's so a really cool idea. having a blank slate isn't, is I think a little overwhelming um, and doesn't lead to the best results. So I think this prompt database is, is pretty cool. So that's why I pasted this in. Um, so here we go. The prompt is your professional UI UX designer with over 10 years of experience. I'd like you to design a landing page that facilitates team collaboration. The hero section should feature a large image of the actual platform showcasing various courses for teammates. Following the hero section, let's include social proof section to build our credibility. Um, next, we'll have a section explaining why users should choose our platform. Uh, to conclude, let's design a minimalistic footer. I'd like the overall design to be modern and minimalistic with a pastel color palette. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and click start. And this is what's really cool. So first of all, now it's designing the desktop, tablet, and phone all at the same time. And it's literally designing it. So it's designing it. You can, it's generating it in real time. It's typing the text. It's adding the sections. It's adding the images. And then also on the right side, what's cool is while this is happening, you can change the color palette. Um, so you can just mix it around and see, oh, I like this. I like this. And like, like, just see what you like. You can change the fonts in real time as well. And everything's really snappy as well, which is very cool. Um, and then, and then, yeah, so it's generating, it's generating the text. Um, so it's generating basically one page here, right? So you could add more pages and then connect it. And uh, you also can on the top, like if you don't like how this turned out, you can just like click on it, change the prompt and regenerate, uh, which is also pretty cool. So there's, I think there's obviously a lot of places that they can add on to this, but pretty sweet. And you can even look, I'll go up to the right, I'll click publish, like, I'll publish it and that site that they just generated i can now click on it and this is the site that was just generated by ai this is a live site on the internet right now um so pretty sweet that's insane that's really incredible what are your thoughts matt initial thoughts my mind's blown i think it's incredible i um my mind is is going to like basically what is the what is the value that people can build on top of this? Um, I think it, it reminds me of the other website that you showed me today, which I think is maybe leading more into your list of things that you wanted to talk about. But the $50 website uh, is a really good idea. And I think it's something that still has value even in a world where this exists. Because I think so many people can like decide, I want to build a website. It's very hard to actually get a website that you're happy with and that you want, or you're like, proud to share. And so right. I think that there's a role for design. I think there's a role for being able to have a point of view and be able, being able to like implement that into whatever you're building. I don't think that just having a tool that can auto-generate something for you eliminates the need for like taste. And so yeah. maybe that's really the question I'm trying to ask is like, how do you, where, how, how is valuable is taste in a world where uh, content can be infinitely generated? I totally agree. I think it becomes more valuable. Curation becomes more valuable. I also like, if you think about it, this is really cool, but I guess what's the difference between using this and just using a template that a designer created already, right? It's yeah. functionally, what's the, obviously there's a difference. This was generated on the fly and is unique, but uh, functionally, what's the difference between this and just using a template? So I, I don't know. There, there's a lot that can go into it, but I do think that I don't know. I, it clearly there's this is really cool, and there's a lot of value here, and yeah. th there's a lot of places that I think you can then use AI to like tweak individual components, and like that's where I think it can like imagine kind of how with like ChatGPT, the value a lot of it comes from having a conversation and mm -hmm. getting like refining the conversation. Yeah. That's where this ultimately I think will go. I don't know right now that you can refine. I think you can only regenerate. So I think that's where it'll go in the future is like, oh, let me refine this. Let me tweak this. Um, that's, that 
isn't exact. But also, I, I agree with you that taste, that, that's kind of a little bit of a, a tangent, but I, I agree with you. I think taste is going to become more and more important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it like two thoughts here. One is, I agree with you 100% that refinement is going to need to be absolutely present here. Like, I think that um, in the example that I was mentioning earlier, of like a product designer that wants to actually get a website off the ground without needing an engineer to build it. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth from the designer of like, here's my original idea. Can you build it for me? But then like, okay, I actually really want these components to have like rounder edges. Can you make those the like border radius 15 pixels? And like being able to just like chat with it in a way that will actually fix it and then make it live. That would be really cool. And I think that'd be yeah. really, really valuable. So that's one. I think the second part is um, another thing we've been talking about for weeks, which is that like a lot of these themes are not really new to AI. I think AI is like a new way of um, of seeing the same pattern of like taste being important and aggregation being important. But like that's also been present in the past too, like with the founding of the internet or with like YouTube as an example. In a world where like anyone can pretty freely add content to YouTube, there it starts to become really valuable to be able to say, oh yeah, we can like build a layer on top of this that helps figure out what video you want to watch next. And if we get really good at that, then that's valuable too. And so like curation, whether you call that an algorithm, whether you call that like taste, I think there's always room for it and it's always valuable. And I think especially in a world of abundance where like everything is freely available and you can pretty easily and freely and in this case, in 15 seconds, create a website, being able to get from like idea to finished product um, in a way that you're really happy with, it's like more important for there to be a, a way to like aggregate what the right answer is, as opposed yeah. to just like, here's all this free choice. Now you go ahead and run with it. Um, yeah. And this isn't necessarily a novel thought. This is like Ben Thompson talks about this all the time. This is literally what aggregation theory is. But uh, it's so true. It's just like, it's not a new thing. It's just a, a being applied now to AI as opposed to the internet or whatever else before it. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's really interesting how it's going to be applied to AI. And on, what, on your point of the $50 website, which is a, a site that I came across, it's literally called $50website.com. And you can go on and they basically say, hey, like, you can pay Squarespace $20 a month or pay us $50 a month and we'll build you a custom website. We'll manage it for you. We'll take care of everything. And uh, and supposedly on their website, they say they have, I think, 5,000 customers. So in theory, they're making $2.5 million a year from this. Mm -hmm. And I'm just jealous because I think it's an awesome business. And, and uh, on the other hand, I think it is a bit of a challenging business because imagine having 5,000 customers that you have to manage their websites and like make changes for them kind of thing. I mean, it's yeah. a thing that you can definitely outsource and get people to manage their website for, for that, for you to do. But that part sounds like a bit of a nightmare, but once you get that part settled, I, I feel like it's a pretty amazing business. And I think something like this almost, I don't know, in some ways it almost enables more people to do something like that, right? Like, like you could start that business and just use Framer AI to build it for people type of thing. But uh, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think I still think having a service like that, that's the kind of service that you could start that business probably now, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And there's still going to be people that just don't want to deal with it. Even, even if it's like pretty easy, they're just not going to want to deal with it. And they're happy to pay someone to take, take care of it for them. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, it's a really interesting question that you posed too of like, this is totally an opportunity, but would I want to build this? Um, I'm starting to, as I get older, start to reflect on that question more. We're like, when I was younger, it was like, oh, this is a good business opportunity. I'm going to chase it. And now it's more like, oh, this is a good opportunity. And it's the thing that I want to be working on. That's what I want to chase. Like, I'm not going to spend my time on the thing that is a business opportunity, but it's not something exciting to me. The idea of managing 5,000 individual clients for websites and like, uh, making updates or like managing the people who make those updates sounds terrible. I'd much rather be in the business of like making super premium $50,000 websites and brands for people for like a few handful of clients or like mm -hmm. you know, something else completely. But this sounds like a nightmare of a business run to me. I think it's a great opportunity. Well, once you have two and a half million dollars of revenue, you just hire someone to manage the entire thing and you never worry about it again, you know? True. But even then, like I can imagine their costs are pretty high because they probably have to have a pretty big team of people, even if they're overseas, yeah. actually end up managing this. Um, all the serving, like the cost of server space, the cost of 
Um, I don't know if they're building it on one of those services directly and they negotiated rates by like, hey, you know, we're bringing 5,000 clients to you. We can negotiate better, more favorable rates or they have yeah. like templates of their code that they're just replicating, in which case like the cost of hosting it is just whatever their cloud costs are. Right. Uh, but that would be smart. If, like if you had that much volume, you would ideally want to move to something like that because um, you'd make yeah, some more money. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, whatever it is, I think it's also just a good question to reflect on of like, good business opportunity? Is this like my business opportunity? And that's something I've been pondering more and more. Well, you'd be pretty happy if you were making a million dollars a year doing that. Oh, I'd, I'd be really thrilled if I were doing that. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's, I, I agree. I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's but just in general, I think it's a great business idea. And I think it's the type of idea that will exist pretty much forever because we're just in a bubble where people know about tech, but there's people that don't know or care about tech. And even when it's as easy as chatting, like chat GPT to set up your website, I still think people yeah. aren't going to really want to do it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I actually, I have a very related business that I came across this week uh, that I just want to show you. You may have already seen this, but did you see, um, let me pull up the exact name. Did you see mm -mm -mm. Signature Pro? Did you come across this? Um, sounds kind of familiar. Let me see. Okay. Oh, yeah, I did. I did see this on Twitter. Uh, yeah, did you see this on Twitter? This is this is hilarious. Do you want to describe what it is? Yeah, so it's a service that will come up with a custom signature for you. So maybe you have your like dopey little signature. Maybe you were that awkward fifth grader that was practicing your signature for that day you got drafted to the NFL and you finally got to go give your autograph to everybody. Um, but if you don't like your signature, you can just get these calligraphers to come up with custom signatures for you. And uh, I don't know if it's actually calligraphers. I don't know if it's like mid journey that's just generating this for you. No, it's it's real calligraphers. And then they also send you a video teaching you how to do it yourself. Yeah. So they teach you how to do it and actually implement it. I actually think it's a really cool service and like a cool novelty. And it's only $85. It's not like it's crazy expensive. Yeah, it's it's genius. It's like a genius idea. It's a genius idea. It's so smart. And then supposedly they make a lot of money. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not surprised because it's cheap enough where you're like, ah, for 85 bucks, wouldn't you be curious if someone could just come up with a cool signature for you? Wouldn't you be curious? Are you not curious? I, I wonder how they got like, do they run Facebook ads? Like, how are they? They maybe maybe Instagram ads works really well for them. If, if, if I'm, I don't, I don't know. This feels uh, like the type of thing that you could funnel in to an ad network, like you could just pour money into Facebook ads and you must be getting a positive ROI on whatever ad spend that you're generating. Yeah, it's it's a genius idea. It's the most it's random idea. idea. I would it's never so think smart. of this, but also Matt, like this, yeah, you probably wouldn't want to do this business, but it's genius. Also, I actually like this business more than- I like this business way more. <laughs> yeah. This is a great business because you know what you're not doing? I mean, if you want to, you can go back and pay for more options, but you're not like- you know, asking for random requests to your website that are all custom and like one-off changes. They're all yeah. annoying. It requires people's, a ton of people's time. This is like, this is gold. This is, you do it once and then they move on or they pay you for more. It's yeah, this is, this is also the type of idea which makes you realize like there's probably, there's gotta be some random ideas out there that no one is like, everyone says every business is done. This business, this signature business this is novel. This is, this was, some, unless they copied someone else that I, we don't know about, but it just seems like a very novel idea. And there's got to be other ideas out there that are just pretty novel that, that you're yeah. like, oh my God, that's crazy. But people are willing to pay for that. Totally. I mean, it's the hard version of a business. This is like, this business doesn't exist. And I'm trying to get people to spend money that they would not <laughs> on this new service. And it's kind of a novelty. So like, how often are people really going to do this? Once you get a customer, are they going to do it again? Um, versus like, the type of business where you're saving people costs on money they're already spending, in which case they're really amenable to saving that money. Uh, Every Fortune 500 company in the world should be buying this service for their executives. They can't have bad signatures. <laughs> and have bad signatures. You don't want like a, you know who actually, unfortunately, has a fantastic signature? I know. You're <laughs> <laughs> Donnie has a fantastic signature. That guy must have been, I don't know if he hired this company, if he got a calligrapher, but he, <laughs> yeah. it's a, an amazing signature. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Donnie big time. It's, it's kind of funny looking at their, their, um, 
before and after pictures for this signature yeah before i'm like it's fine like i don't know but yeah it's also like i feel like there's even probably a a super premium version of this where you can work with like athletes who give their signature all the time to come up with a really cool one but also one that's easy to sign over and over again Mm. it's not too complex um and then I bet they would spend like a couple grand on that because why not? And maybe you could sell it to the agents because maybe that's a cool gift they can give to a potential client. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's I, I thought it was a cool idea and it was related to what you were talking about. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, what, do you have anything else? I, I have some more stuff if you want, but if you have anything. Uh, I have a couple of things. Uh, I'll, I'm going to share two and then i want you to tell me if you have anything more interesting and that's totally fine if you want to talk about them okay um did you see that ben tornberg started a new company called turpentine i did see that on twitter yes okay so we could talk about turpentine we could talk about the dara and acquired episode Mm. um one thing we and then i have something to say for the end but top why don't you go into some of your things and then we can come back to these or we can okay or do you want yeah those, those are both good um, I have a few as well. So um, let's see here. There, there's different things. Let me think about what would be best. So actually, one thing I'm curious if you know anything about, because I just want to learn about it, is did you look into OpenAI functions? Not to talk more about AI, but I, I saw it was released. Yeah. I saw it was a thing, but I haven't actually played with it yet. Okay, so we'll move on from that. Um, what are... I saw it had something to do with like JSON, but I don't know if that's actually right. OpenAI. Yeah, it, I think it does. I think it's like calling your own app's API or something like that. Oh, uh, totally sure. That's kind of what I imagine it was. It was like it actually interacting with endpoints of either different APIs or different websites. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know anything about that. So we can save that for next week. Okay, cool. One thing that... I thought was interesting was just one, one like just general thing that I was thinking about today was just this idea of what it's like to be um, ideating versus actually building. And it's just interesting like when you're in, like it's very fun to be in the ideating place, but I'm not, and I'm not really in the ideating place right now. Like sometimes I'll go there for fun, but, or like ideating is more like within my own businesses of like, how do I ideate within that? Which is different yeah. from just like ideating where you are more so of like, okay, what are like full business ideas that I want to think about? And yeah. it's, I don't know, it's it's very, it's more fun to be like ideating, but you have to like be more in the building phase at a certain point. And that's also really fun too, but it's, I don't know, just something that I noticed. And I think that throughout your career, you just kind of go back and forth a little bit, unless you're just like always have some, um, I guess most people might are, are just generally building because that's their job, right? Um, if, as an yeah. entrepreneur, you kind of go back and forth. Can I ask, what was the context in which you were thinking about this? Or were you just like generally reflect, reflecting on this? Well, I think the, what was making me think about it was even for this podcast, it, w- it used to be a little bit easier for me to just like have business ideas throughout the week because that was more where my mindset was. Whereas now yeah. it's almost it's a little bit harder because it's just not necessarily how I'm just naturally spending my time every day, if that makes sense. No, it does. Um, it's interesting because I'm thinking about this a lot as someone who wants to be ideating but finds it really difficult to. Like I think that yeah. um, similar to you, and there was a topic every week, and it was like we're talking about personal finance, come up with some business ideas. It would be like I would now have this lens through which I would look through everything mm-hmm. throughout the week. And I would just go down the street and be like, oh, yeah, that's an idea. And then like I would notice things and be perceptive to them because I was in that mindset of looking at the world through a specific lens. And that I found to be really helpful Um, when it's just like ideating in general, though, kind of feels like walking up to someone and being like, tell me a joke. It's like it doesn't doesn't really happen that way. It's it's more like organic. And I think that um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot, too, because I also think that they're related. Like I find for myself that uh, maybe there is a structured process through which you should build, which is like, you should have an idea and validate that idea. And once you've sufficiently validated it, then you go and build the thing. And I think for me, what I found is like, building is 
a way to generate ideas. Like it, it actually taking a step toward building something helps me get it in front of people. It helps me get feedback, yeah. it helps me find the people who are also interested in similar things, which then helps me come up with more ideas. So maybe it's not the most direct path toward like nailing the answer immediately, but there is something about also the building process that does give me ideas and get me into a state of flow of like, oh yeah, like I'm thinking about this problem. I'm finding, thinking about the people who are also experiencing this problem. I'm thinking about people who are also interested in these things. So like the push-up AI tracker that I built last summer, uh, I didn't really think it was like a good business opportunity. I never thought it was, but building it was one, like exciting to me and got me more energized to go through the world because I was building something cool. Two, was it like got me to reach out to Andrew and other people who were doing fitness stuff. And it's like that rekindled some old relationships. And uh, it made me start to think about other fitness ideas because I was thinking about this. And I was like, oh, well, how would I expand this? Or how would I like monetize this and all these other thoughts? And so yeah. I don't know if they're necessarily divorced from each other. We're like, ideating is different from building at least for me they're they're similar but um i totally agree with you i think it's really hard to just be like hey come up with ideas or like sit down with an open notion doc and, and write down five ideas it doesn't really happen for me yeah maybe we should uh try doing an old-fashioned episode where we come up with a, a topic again to i love that yeah um, yeah that'd be great all right have, um i so one of the things i wrote down that i wanted to say for the end was uh a plan for what we're going to do while you're gone and one of the thoughts I had was actually like bringing on guests and chatting with them or like even re-releasing old ideas. Oh, um, yeah. If, if you have, I think you have one more week before you go, right? Um, we can record on Monday. Okay, I could do that. Do you want to talk, do you want to bring Sam on or a guest on and chat with them? Uh, yeah, sure. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, we can do an ideas episode, the two of us, but we can have that be... Uh, the thing we'll do an yeah, idea. we have to record for five hours so people don't think we're gone <laughs> <laughs> people are going to be devastated when they find out there's going to be a three-week break because seth had to go to italy we could also do like we could record for an hour and do and that could be two 30-minute episodes also which could be interesting um, that. yeah it was, yeah totally be a possibility anyway yeah lots of things we can do but yeah um Cool. Yeah, let's 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 do it again. Let's come up come up with some topics. I also agree we could re-release some of our older ones. Something else we should do, which we do have a YouTube channel, but we should re-release all of the like every single episode that we have on YouTube. And that's something that could help us get more listeners because it'll push it out to like YouTube is pushing podcasts and they have a specific yeah. podcast thing now. I'm doing that with the No Code MBA podcast and I think that could help us potentially get some more listeners. Uh, there's a lot we can do with the old content. Uh, that's a good idea. We should be simultaneously releasing the YouTube. There's no reason we shouldn't be. Yeah. So I don't know. There. Well, I tried. I kind of tried and failed to hire a contractor once to help us with this podcast. But I'll. That would be. I still think that would be great to have someone that we just like are willing to invest a little bit of money in in like the marketing. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I'd be so willing to do. Yeah. So um, let me share one more way. Talk more about that later, but yeah. Yeah. Let me share one more way I've been thinking about ideas or that I've found in the past couple of weeks has been helpful to come up with ideas. Um, I've started reaching out to a couple of companies about jobs. And I found that when I'm like cold emailing them, I've been trying to get in the habit of being like, if I were running your business or your department or whatever, what are three things I would work on? Or what would be like some things I would focus on or some things that could be cool ideas for you? And that was another way is to like, Think about a company that you think is interesting and just if you were like in charge of running the business or coming up with new product ideas for the business, what would you do? Yeah. Uh, that could be a good way to generate ideas as well. Mm, I like that. There was also um, a really interesting point um, that was that was I took away from Rick Rubin's book about creativity. And it was really interesting where he was saying sometimes like just just sharing your creative idea with one person like makes you it can significantly improve that project because before you actually share it with someone you're going to actually like you're going to make it better just knowing that yeah. someone else is going to see it and right. it's it's almost like a psychological thing it's like it's not like you were purposely not making it as good but it's almost like now that you know it's going to be shared new things like uh display to you that that you can then uh um, yeah. change so totally. it, it's kind of that 
along that line, along those lines of like, okay, imagining you're in their shoes, but a little different. But I just thought that was really a really interesting takeaway. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And the book is so good, by the way. It's so yeah, good. It's amazing. It's yeah. really good. Um, yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I think we should totally do an ideas episode. We'll do one on Monday before you leave. Cool. Cool. And we'll pick a topic after this. So uh, people can stay tuned. We are not going to reveal it yet for all <laughs> you listeners who will uh, we'll come up with something good for you, though. And we should pick it tonight because otherwise I think we're not going to pick a topic. No, we'll pick it tonight. We'll pick it tonight. Sweet. Uh, what else do you want to hear? We could also do like a, a bit of a rapid fire quicker episode tonight. Yeah. Uh, so I have, I have an interesting, I, there's just an interesting uh, idea. So you, you probably saw what's happening with Reddit. Yeah. Where basically they're increasing their API costs. It sounds like a... Um, to get everyone onto their mobile app because they have these third-party apps, which a lot of people use. But on third-party apps, they're not making any ad dollars. They want everyone on their own mobile app, which makes a lot of sense. And they're going to IPO soon, so they're trying to optimize for that. And then they also, um, it sounds like they want to protect their data and potentially sell it for AI purposes. So, which also is kind of, I don't know, something about that is just interesting to me where like, it's like Reddit owns all this data that they get to decide if it's going to get trained on AI, not the authors of that data in the first place, which is kind of interesting. I mean, it makes sense. They're the platform. People are using their platform. Yeah. But there could be an argument that, oh, like, the why does Reddit get to choose that, like, someone who wrote, put in the actual work uh, for, the, for the content? Uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Anyway, so... That's that's kind of an aside, but basically this is happening on Reddit. There's a blackout of a bunch of all like the moderators are really mad about this. Um, they're basically blacking out or like turning off their subreddits for extended period of time as as a protest. Mm -hmm. And Reddit has gone through many of these types of like protests in the past from like the community, but this one seems to be potentially the biggest and one that I don't know if it's going to quiet down so easily. And I think that there was a leaked email from um steve huffman the ceo of reddit where he's like don't worry everyone it's gonna blow over of course that leaked and everyone's like oh, <laughs> now it's not blowing over yeah. <laughs> that's so funny oh uh, it's such a shame to say about a fellow uva alum but damn <laughs> I know. uh so so i think one area of conversation is like what how is this going to end obviously reddit can just turn off turn the subreddits back on but they are in a predicament where the moderators do provide a lot of value to their to the site right um so, so it's a predicament for sure the other area of, of conversation that this could go is so so these third-party apps apollo is one of them i think they have like fifty thousand users um there's another one with with a decent amount of users but a lot of them they're they're not just users they're like power users they're like the people who are really posting and, and using reddit I feel like there's an opportunity for them to say, hey, sure, like uh, we're going to like we're going to not use your API anymore, but we're just going to use our own back end. And everyone like they have all the momentum and goodwill right now. I feel like they could immediately get like a million users actually using their app like Apollo and they could create like a, like it's not going to be as big as Reddit right away. But I feel like they could create a pretty large niche social network and that itself is going to be worth so much more money to the, to the, to them. So that's like, they should merge. And they also could do some like profit sharing things with all the mods and get all the mods on. Like, I don't know. I think there's a lot that you could do. And this is an, like an opportunity for them. They would have to act really quickly, but that's my, I don't know that. So there's two areas where that conversation could go. And if that's even possible, but I think it's just a, yeah. a really interesting situation. Yeah. It, so it is interesting. There've been a few people floating around these possibilities of creating an alternative to Reddit. Um, but like, I think that it would have to be created by Apollo because Apollo is the one that's like the biggest third party app. Like, I don't think people yeah. are going to use a random one, but I think they might rally behind this guy who runs Apollo, who's getting, who. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I, I think there's like the emotional, should he do it? Yes. But then there's the rational, like, can he do it? And I'm actually not sure he can. I think as far as I know, it's just one person, right? It's just him working on this. You'd have to like raise money and build a team. It would, it would be, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he really truly can do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, but he certainly, I'm sure there's some venture capitalist out there who's like, oh, wait, this is actually a really good opportunity. We can convince this guy to go start a bigger company and we could own a big chunk of it and we could try to get him to start an alternative to Reddit. And he does, to totally your point, they have like all the power users. They have a ton of momentum. He has a brand name at the moment, at least, of building it on Apollo. Um, could they do it? I think it'd be really hard. And I think that by the time that he actually pulls it off, I'm I'm not convinced that Reddit won't just like be able to bring everyone back. But yeah. The opportunity, I think, totally exists. I think that uh, this idea of what are opportunities for Reddit or like around this Reddit revolt. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting because I think that like to your point on getting all these moderators working for free, this is something that Facebook spends or Meta spends like hundreds of millions of dollars a year on for just the service. And Reddit as like a huge perk to the platform, they get it for free. But now it's like blowing up in their face because not only do they not get content moderation, but like all the people, all, like all the ways that they can actually serve content to users is now gone because they've given so much power to these moderators uh, and all these moderators work for free. Right. And so they're in a tough situation. I'm not convinced that they can't just get out of it pretty easily by being like, uh, you know what, like you all want Reddit and you're going to cave and we think that you will and, and like people just end up caving. I'm not convinced that won't be the case, but uh, yeah, I think it's interesting to think like, what are opportunities for this Apollo guy? I'm not sure. What will happen if the mods truly don't back down and they continue this protest? And they and these are like, it's like 50% of the content on Reddit that you can't access right now. And yeah. like, obviously Reddit can just turn them back on and they can kick the mods off the site. But what, but like, what's gonna happen? Like, what happens at that point, right? Because uh, they, it, it's a very. What would you do if you were Steve Huffton? Well, my gut, which I don't use Reddit, and I don't know the ideas behind why a mod is a mod very well. Um, my gut is saying that like there's a purpose that they and a like a fulfillment that they get from being a mod. That obviously, like, if they were paid, that'd be great. But clearly, they don't need to be paid to get that fulfillment. And I think that fulfillment is really just feeling like they're mayors of a specific subsegment of the internet. And I think they want power, is like what they really yeah. It's not about money. It's, it's not, not about, about money. money. They want power. Yeah. And like, I don't think they're going to get as much power on Apollo as they will get on Reddit by being the mod of some like of r slash funny. You know, like I think that there's something to that that only they're only really going to get on Reddit and probably won't be replicated elsewhere. And so I think the, if you don't know power until you felt the power of being the mod of r slash funny. Yeah, exactly. And so my gut, if I were Steve, is to say, like, I really do, really tr do truly think this is going to blow over. That doesn't mean I'm going to be uh, completely passive and not do anything. But I think I'm going to try and, like, repair relationships with mods and just, like, bank on them coming back and maybe even try to implement some of the features that Apollo is building or as, like, a sign of good faith, just buy Apollo for, like, $10 million. Yeah, I, I think that where they they went wrong. Yeah, I think a like they may just need to buy buy it as a sign of good faith. I think that that might end up being less expensive for them. I also think that they just need to do a better job communicating with them with their community, right? Because I think that what people are mad about is they feel like they've been treated unfairly, like they were given one month to like update all their apps like that is really not fair they should have given like a little bit more time to for the people who are running these third-party apps to like figure out what to do especially when it's been eight years or like 10 or eight years where it's been completely free and then i feel like they they feel like the management of reddit isn't speaking honestly and clearly about what that what their intentions are i think that they would have appreciated it more if they were like look we're about to ipo we need everyone to be on our own app. Like in order for us to be a company that it continues to exist, we need everyone to be on our own app. Like this really is hard and sucks for, for the third parties who put in so much work. Um, but unfortunately, like it's just not gonna, we just can't exist. And I think people would have appreciated that a lot more than like the convoluted answer, like reasons that they gave. And I think that's more of like a, a like a case study on how to speak to your users. Totally agree. Totally, totally agree. The other thought I'm reflecting on at the moment is um, there's some stat that got passed around, like they're losing $3 million a day in revenue. And um, and also there was another stat that was floated that like they could buy uh, Apollo for $10 million. 
So I'm like, sure that guy would take $10 million. Definitely take 10. So like if they miss out on four days of revenue, which I already have, I think at this point, then they're break even on that. Like they should have just bought this guy. And one, that would be like a huge win for the platform because it could be like, oh, we're so like friendly to our third-party apps. Two, this guy has a lot of functionality through Apollo that they probably should have been building into their app anyway. Do they even have a native mobile app? Didn't they like not have one they, for a while? Not for a while. And they do have one now, I think, but it's... Uh, I don't, I, I don't know like the specifics, but I don't think people like it as much. Yeah. Okay. So now you can like instantly get this guy to come in and improve your functionality. Clearly he's a good product guy. Like yeah, clearly he's good that. at product and people <laughs> like it. Well, like make him the head of product at Reddit. Like yeah. make him like, the, yes, exactly. Make him the head of like mod products, like, or mod features, you know, like it's, it feels so easy. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, a hundred percent agree with you. You're spot on that communication is crucial here and they completely fumbled the bag. But yeah. it also feels like a really easy win where you'd be like, oh yeah, this guy's really good. And we've had him on our radar for a while. Uh, it's probably like small potatoes, but it would probably mean more to our community than it would cost us to actually buy this guy. Yeah, it's, it's so stupid. It's just crazy. Why is it that like the people who run social networks like are like the worst at social interactions? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> even, for our, even for our fellow who. Alexis, Although I will say, I wonder what Alexis Ohanian is thinking right now. He's like, I'm so glad I'm not running Reddit. <laughs> yeah, he must be. He must be so happy. I would not want to run Reddit. I feel like it's a very, very difficult job, honestly. It's got to um, be a really tough job. I mean, honestly, yeah. all these. It, Any it social is, network I would not want to run. Um, no. For this exact reason. They're all different, but it's none of them are easy. No, I totally agree. This is actually a good segue into an early carve out, but we could also do like a rapid fire if there's anything else you want to chat about. Did you listen to Zuck on Lex Friedman last week? I listened to some of it, uh, not the entire thing, but I, I listened to segments. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on it? Overall, I mean, I, he's I I like I liked it overall. What about you? Yeah, I think I I had a couple of reflections. One is just like yeah, I didn't listen to the whole thing, so I'm curious what you thought. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, my main takeaway is I really admire Zuck as a person. Like, I think he look he like he's a family man. He moves his body every day. He uh, feels intellectually stimulated by his work. He's responsible for a big chunk of the internet. Um, he's a really remarkable guy. I think he's like actually really impressive. And I think he also came across as much more human than he has in the past. Like we've almost remarked in the, we've, we have remarked in the past about how robotic he was and how like he felt like he was so trained up and like his PR people got to, he, he sounded like a human. And I think it was a reminder to me too that humans evolve and grow and change and we're not static. And he could be like, you know, robotic in one moment, but then grow over the rest of his life. And I think it's been really cool that we've gotten to see him grow up now for over half of his life running Facebook and Meta or Meta. Uh, and that was just a big takeaway for me. Like, I really admire him as a person. And I think it's cool how people adapt and grow and they're not finished products. Yeah, that's a, that is a great uh, takeaway. I agree. Uh, I thought he came off really well from what I listened to. I think that there, well, I'll, before I go to, into a segue, I will say I still hold a grudge because his company has such a terrible system. I'm, I will give him the benefit of the doubt of the doubt that they fixed this. And I'm sure Zuckerberg obviously is not running like the system of like fraud or like how to deal with accounts that get hacked and like business accounts that get hacked and can't get into their accounts. But it was such a terrible, terrible process that was like so uh, unempathetic. And I still think that comes from the top. Like, I think that that kind of thing still does come from the top. And it's not something he's built his company for. Uh, and I think that, I, I don't know. So I think that those are areas where um, I'm going to hold that grudge for a long time because that wasted so much of my time trying to get my account back when I was tacked. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, the podcast was good. He came off really well. So, yeah, totally. 100%. I, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll shift this also to another podcast and we can shift to whatever you want to talk about. But the I, Dara I was going to go say real it. quick on that topic, though. Um, do you have any thoughts on his reaction to the Apple Pro headset where he was like, oh, you know, there's nothing here that we haven't thought of before? Um. I and I will also caveat this that this was not like the Steve Ballmer reaction, which was very condescending towards the iPhone. Yeah. Uh, Steve Ballmer, the 
uh, then see he was the CEO or CEO he made, was he at the time the CEO of Microsoft? He was the CEO of Microsoft at the time. Yeah, yeah which was very condescending. And Zuckerberg was not. It was much more thoughtful and gracious, I, I will say. Um, yeah. But I, uh, anyway, I don't know if you have what your thoughts are, then I can share mine. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with you. I don't think that it was necessarily Mark Zuckerberg trying to be condescending and say that Apple did it totally the wrong way. No. I think that both products are sufficiently different and are trying to solve for different things that their choices make sense and the trade-offs that they made make sense. Like for Zuckerberg, if he's focusing mostly on connection, that requires people to have these headsets. It requires your friends to have these headsets. It can't involve $3,500 price tags on your totally. headset or else people aren't going to buy it. And so there are certain trade-offs that you make at that point. Like the resolution can't be as good as the Vision Pro if you're working with one seventh of the build, of the build materials. It just like can't make sense. And so I can imagine that they did think about all these trade-offs. And I think they're smart enough to have considered what would it take us to actually build that level of resolution into a headset and that they like thought about it and they just chose not to because of a specific set of trade-offs because they're optimizing for social connection and, and like connectivity and communication. Yeah. Uh, you, it looks like you want to chime in. So like, no, I, I think it's, I think that you're right. I think it's interesting. Like when you think about the strategy, my hunch is that in order for VR to be something that people will want to actually use, it has to be at the level of what Apple is releasing. And that's why I think they chose that strategy where um, the resolution is really good. Like it's really responsive. Like it's not frustrating to use. Hopefully it's comfortable. Uh, it'll get more comfortable over time, but being comfortable is, is important. And I think that the strategy of Apple and then bringing the price down over time, like keeping the the quality as good, if not better, but lowering the price and with Apple's brand, I think they're going to run away with this market and eventually it's going to be an iPhone situation. Um, that's, and, and, and they have the user experience, like the software it's, it's the, the Apple software. It's, it's so good. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but, uh, it's also very hard to compete with Apple's brand and cool factor and the fact that the hardware and software work so well together. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I'm not, I, I gen, generally agree with you. Yeah. And I think it's also like, I think there's this specific market where the Vision Pro is 3,500, but Apple's of course working on the Vision non-pro. That's going to be probably like $1,000. And then at that point, it'll be more affordable for a lot of people and then they'll want it too. And I think the question is like, is it better to attack a market from the high end and go down? Is it the Tesla master plan that, that works where you right. $150,000 roadster that then like helps you work down to the Model S? Or is it the Facebook meta approach in this case where it's like you come out with a $300 product and you work your way up to premium? And there yeah. are examples throughout history of both working. Um, in this case though, like brand is really important, especially in hardware. And Apple has the brand and the credibility of having typically nailed the market. Um, and so I'm not going to be surprised if they absolutely run away with it at all. Are there any other credible competitors or is it just Meta and Apple with VR right now? I, I doubt that Microsoft is continuing to work on the HoloLens or like is really considering it seriously. Um, I don't think Amazon is working on anything, although I would never rule them out. Yeah. Uh, so no, I, I don't think there are any other real credible competitors. I think mm -hmm. it's the type of thing where it takes a ton of money to be able to do it. So they're really only like a handful of companies I think actually could meaningfully compete with them. Uh, yeah. and unless we haven't heard about them or unless they're like magic leap where in private, they just raised a billion dollars. Uh, yeah. I'd be surprised to hear that there's a, a really like solid competitor that came out. Yeah. I'm excited for like when in 10 years we can feel like we're sitting on the same couch. Yeah, totally, which I think is a great outcome of VR. And I think that what I think is probably going to be an outcome of this, which we talked about last week, is I think Meta will realize that they're, they need to have a software presence on the Vision Pro, which is one thing and I think is important. I think the other thing is like, is their vision of like gaming and communication and connectivity and social connectivity as like a core use case for this? Is that sufficiently good? And does the Quest 3 that's coming out in the fall, like sufficiently address that. And maybe yeah. people who see the $3,500 price tag and think, you know what? VR is cool. I'm only going to give it a chance, but I'm just not paying $3,500. Let me just buy the $500 Meta Quest 3 now. Um, maybe that works for them. I'm not sure, but yeah, maybe. maybe. My sense is people, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. 
let's move on. Let's move on. Unless you have anything else you want to chat about with that. No, my, my last comment was just my money's on Apple from hardware for hardware for VR, but my money's on Meta for software for VR. Mm, for social software, perhaps. Um, yeah. 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 All right, let's do it. What else you got? So I have a few things, but I think we can we can kind of uh, wrap it up unless you have anything else. No, that's, I, that's it for me. I have one carve out in addition to the one that I already mentioned. Uh, but yeah, if you want to hit one more, we can do one more and then do carve outs or we can just do carve outs here. Okay. One, one more that is back to AI. Uh, so now it's just the AI VR podcast, <laughs> um, which is also why I think the topics will be good. It'll help us get out of this bubble, I think a little bit, which will be nice. Yeah, but, and then we'll just talk about VR and AI opportunities within that. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a tweet by Scott Belsky, which I think more, not I think, it definitely more eloquently described an idea that I had, which I texted you a little while ago, and it was about management with AI. And I think it had to do with, like, it had to do with this idea that AI is going to help managers become better managers. Do you remember when I was texting you about this? or like vaguely, uh, I don't even, yeah, I don't remember exactly the thought, but it was something around that thought. But his tweet is, I think management will become a human, hybrid human slash AI practice, vastly improved by data and coaching. Um, humans will do more leadership and less management as a result. Bold and counterintuitive visions are what sustain progress. The, the flag planting, ethics setting, charismatic choreographers of an organization will be more essential than ever before. Um, one might say that AI will liberate managers from all the process stuff to focus more on more leadership. And perhaps we'll have fewer managers and more leaders as a result. Uh, let us make it so. I think that's a, a really awesome. And I totally, totally agree with it. I also think that this is a very, very big opportunity in AI is creating uh, software with AI that essentially helps kind of manages people automatically by knowing their goals, knowing what they should be doing, keeping people on track. And I, and I agree. I think it's not like humans shouldn't be a part of that, but there's no reason a human should be like, you know, spending all their time, like going through a JIRA board and making sure that like this specific thing is getting done. Like there's a little bit of that, but I feel like the human should be like what Scott is saying, like uh, leadership and um, basically like motivating people to, to do the work essentially. So I, I think it's very a very interesting thought, and I agree with it. I think there's also business opportunities around it as well. I'm letting it merited because I'm not actually sure that I agree. Yeah, but let's let's hear the let's let's get controversial. <laughs> I don't know if it's controversial. I just think that um, the people who tend to be so here's where I agree with you, but why I like ultimately think that this won't be outsourced to software. I think there's like this mythical person who is a manager, but is really good at naturally being able to do all these things. So they're like an, an amazing leader. They're kind of like the glue between all these different departments. They're like on top of their people, but not too micromanage They're um, the go-to person that anyone can ask questions to. I just think at the, at the end of the day, a lot of people want someone that they could just ping on Slack and be like, hey, what's the answer to this question that I have? And then they get their answer immediately. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be software that will be that replacement, um, at least from what I've seen. Support it though, right? And help help make help keep people on track, help do a lot of like the the management things, or make people better managers, right? As well. I guess I don't know. I, I'd be curious how this plays out in bigger companies. But what I find in at least Ophelia size companies is that the people are all pretty naturally self motivated, and we don't like need day to day management. At least my engineering team doesn't. I feel like that's that's different at large inter enterprises, though. I mean, yeah, it's gonna be different at bigger companies. I just don't really know what form this software. That, like, at, I don't. I mean, I don't know. For I've never worked at a big company, but I would imagine at Adobe, there's probably just like tons of people who our managers who, or like tons of people who also, there's so much that you're working on that you kind of like, you, it's like, it probably is hard to like keep everyone completely self-motivated. There's just so many people, right? Yeah. Where I think I could see this being helpful is in a world where you have that many 
layers between like you as upper management or like exec teams and lower level teams actually contributing to work toward these goals. Um, there are probably a lot of questions that you have that you just don't necessarily have ready, ready answers to because you're so disconnected from the actual work. And there are so many different teams that are working on things that yeah. being able to get that could be interesting, but I think that's less like help the managers be better managers and more like help the exact team stay more on top of the details of the work that's going on. Um, I don't know. I want to let your thought marinate a little bit because maybe I'll change my mind, but at least today, I'm not really sure. At least I can't. You're not sure AI is going to help managers basically or help people get managed is at the current um, moment. Not necessarily convinced either way. I just think that it's hard for me to imagine what that software would look like. And therefore it's hard for me to imagine what the impact of that software is. Got it. Got I think it. like yeah, Bob was saying, but, well, like AI help managers, like, sure, I could buy that. But what you just said about um, like so many things going on in the company and it's hard to like keep everyone on the same page type thing reminds me of our conversation in episode 40 when we talked about Brian Chesky uh, and his like management philosophy yeah. of, of, uh, of like how of like how they only pick like three things per year that they're going to. Um, work on and the entire company revolves around that yeah that was a great wow Seth Senra over here that was fantastic <laughs> look how casual that was that was so good I looked it up I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up and, and drop it <laughs> that was so good that was so casual <laughs> yeah that was a great episode you guys should, everyone listening should go check out episode 40 if you haven't already totally agree I'm totally with you um, all right. Favorite part of the episode, carve outs. Let's do it. How are you going to your carve outs? <laughs> Spider-Man. Hell yeah, brother. So on Friday, we saw Spider-Man across the multiverse. So good. That was one of the best movies I've ever seen. Amazing. Totally agree. It was incredible. I loved it. Did I tell you that I watched Into the Spider-Verse? No. How was that? Amazing. You've got also yeah, amazing. Right? Oh, dude, I need to watch it. You can rent it on Apple TV for $4. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Do, do that. Like do that on... You need to watch it. Yeah, I'm going to New York tomorrow. I'm going to do it on Monday. I've okay. offered, uh, offered Juneteenth. I'm going to watch it on then. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm curious what you th I mean, it definitely helps to like add some context to some of the characters, which is helpful. But they, they did a good job where you didn't have to watch it to enjoy the second one. But yeah. I also... I don't know. I'll, I'll, I won't say which one I like better or whatever until after, after you see it, but it's, it's, yeah, they're both really good. It was so artistic and creative and beautiful. And the music was insane. It was so good. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Also, I like looked up um, because I like looked it up on YouTube. Uh, now YouTube is, is like now feeding me like all these like Spider-Man videos. And there's all these people who like, review spider-man and like spider rank all the spider-man movies and rank the spider-man video games and there's like there's a whole subculture of spider-man that's crazy i didn't realize it was that big i didn't realize it was that big. big yeah yeah it's crazy i um the other thing i'll plug from it was i listened to the soundtrack on my drive home from the movie so yeah. good especially the song mona lisa by frederick uh who is it by frederick pike let me see it's I've also been listening to listening to soundtrack. Yeah, it's so good. It's great. It's so so good. Mona Lisa, that's the one that you like. I'll, I'll... Mona Lisa is a really good song. Uh, yeah, so that was really good. The only other one I was gonna bring up was the Dara episode of Acquired, which is yeah, really good. Um, my two thoughts leaving that were one, Dara's a badass. Like I would not want to compete with him. It almost made me want to not investment advice. I I'm, want to look up how Uber's doing. We might have our first J trade of the evening. <laughs> and uh, I think they've been doing well, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. He's great. Yeah, I know. It kind of makes me want to invest in Uber as well. I feel like he's he's very focused. He I feel like he has things on track, and he seems like a really good executor and and like CEO. Totally. The the other thought that stuck with me after the episode was he had this segment where he was talking about the differences between Expedia and booking and how this one big realization he had was making sure you go after the right market. Like for Expedia, they were going after, I think mostly airfare, um, whereas booking was going after hotels. And he just said like, 
honestly, the fact that they started with hotels and they really like analyzed the market and went after the right market to start was so crucial for them and made me realize that you should go after the biggest market first. Like you should really spend your time being thoughtful about what market you go after. And that market is very uh, impactful on how the rest of the company is going to operate. And that nugget that he left me with, I thought was really good. Just as you like think about starting a business, being thoughtful about what market am I going into? And this is like every TAM analysis that everyone has you do, or like every, you know, orders, five forces, whatever, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, being thoughtful about the market that you're going into is a really good place to start. Yeah. Cool. That's also gives, does that make you think about something that you're, you're thinking about as you're kind of thinking about what to do next? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And unfortunately I'm only interested in markets where people struggle to make money like fitness. <laughs> yeah. I think that you should, instead of spending your time trying to think of a business idea, you should spend your time uh, getting really into big markets. Yeah. Like just really excited about them somehow. Yeah. <laughs> totally fair. Honestly, it's a good, probably a good strategy. Yeah. Cool. Um, otherwise, uh, the Rick Rubin book that uh, you got for me, thank you, about creativity. Uh, I'm almost finished with it. I want to like, I think I'm going to reread it after I finish it. It's that good. So okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's just amazing. I also, uh, did, you didn't watch the 60 Minutes interview yet with him? Not yet. No, I'm gonna send to. you that link afterwards because yeah, that please watch. It's really, really good. I don't watch tonight. That's really your thoughts. Yeah, it's only yeah, ten you, minutes. Yeah, you mentioned this to me like three times. I need to see it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, all right, what you got? I had those two. So I had Across the Spider Verse. I had Lex Friedman and Zuck. I had Dara on Acquired. Uh, that was it. Them be the the carbots. Cool. Awesome. Nice late night episode. Nice little late night Wednesday night episode for you. Yeah. Uh, very excited to come back to you on Monday with the Pure Ideas episode. We will chat right after this episode to figure out what topic we're going to focus on. But uh, yeah, fun one this week. Cool. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you later. Talk soon. See you, man. Bye. Thank you.